gift of, of preaching and the responsibility of upholding the Word of God is not something that is lost on me or taken lightly. Uh, when Pastor Greg called, I was overjoyed to, uh, to be able to, to be with you this morning and, and to bring uh, the truth of God's Word that I believe uh, does the impossible. Separates bone from marrow. It, it, it is the only thing uh, that can change a life by the work of the Spirit. So, uh, being that uh, many of you, actually all of you, don't really know me from Adam, um, one thing that uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, I believe, said is you can tell a lot about a man by what he loves. And so I thought I'd share with you just as a brief introduction a few things that are very near and dear to me that I love uh, deeply, and in hopes of just giving you a glimpse of to. Uh, who I am and, and what I'm about. My uh, my first love uh, is uh, is Jesus, um, his perfect life, his death and resurrection, and his imminent return are the only thing that I have in this life that provide any sort of hope. Uh, he is my savior. He is my friend. He is my redeemer. He truly is everything to me. I have nothing without Jesus. Uh, and and in light of my love for Jesus, I have a deep love for his church, both locally and universally. Uh, I believe in the local church. I think the local church is what God uses to continue to proclaim his gospel, this good news of what he's done to redeem and reconcile all things to himself. I, I believe in the local church, and I love the universal church. Uh, and I also, um, in light of that, I believe to have a savior, to have a church, you have to have his word. So I, uh, I believe in words like inerrant and infallible, uh, I believe that uh, the Word of God is authoritative, that we come underneath of it. We don't stand over top of it and pick and choose what we like, but that God has in His grace given us His Word that gives us all we need to understand about faith and life, uh, and that it is uh, true and trustworthy, and that we can turn to it, believe it, follow it, and find fulfillment um, throughout it all. And uh, and and I am uh, a very blessed uh, man. I'm married uh, my, my fourth love is my family. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Arian. We just celebrated 12 years on August 16th, and God has graciously given us uh, two wonderful children. My daughter, Adeline, is nine. She will be 10 in December. And my son, Tobin, is seven, and he will be eight in October. Did I say my daughter's birthday is October? December. Don't tell her I did that. That would not go over well. My son will be eight in October. And then... Um, God has graciously blessed us with a little surprise that's coming in January, which was totally not a part of our plan, but that is not what's important. Um, we're very grateful. I'm very blessed. My wife uh, actually works as a, um, as a nurse in, uh, in Calgary, as an adolescent psychiatric nurse, so she works on a psychiatric nurse uh, a unit where she gets to bring um, a lot of hope to, to a very... It's a weird world we live in now, and, and the stuff that, that uh, kids deal with and, and students deal with, my wife gets to minister to, and she's professionally trained to be married to me, so it works out great for her. Today we're going to uh, take a look at a text that I believe has um, some powerful principles, implications for us. Uh, what I like to do when it comes to preaching is, is, is just preach through text. I don't think... Um, I don't think texts are there for us to necessarily decide what it says, but just allow it to stand on its own. So we're going to be looking at uh, John 5, 1 to 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there now. Um, I often encourage uh, folks that are listening to follow along, just so you know I'm not making anything up. 
And uh, just before we, we dive in, I'm just going to pray, and, and then we'll read the text and just kind of walk through it as quickly uh, as possible. Uh, would you pray with me? God of grace, we thank you for today. We thank you for the reality that uh, we have experienced new mercies this morning, whether or not we've acknowledged it. We thank you for your church. I thank you for Banff Park Church, Lord. I thank you for your faithfulness uh, to this church, to this body of believers uh, over the years, over the decades that uh, continue to desire to lift you up and see the town of Banff come to know you, Jesus. And I pray that you would, Lord, continue to preserve, protect, and use for your glory. This morning, as we look at your word, I ask that you would uh, speak to us, that you'd minister to us. God, that you would um, convict those maybe that are wandering. Would you uh, affirm those that are rejoicing? And ultimately, Jesus, we we long to to know you more, to, to trust you more, to see and understand more of, of who you are, what you've done, and what that means for us. So would you exalt yourself, Lord? We, we, we know in your word you say that if we lift you up, Jesus, you'll draw people to yourself. So would you do that this morning, we pray, by your grace and for your glory. Amen. John uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. I've practiced reading this, I don't know how many times this week, because there's just a couple words in here that for whatever reason my brain can't seem to compute. So um, feel free to laugh. It's okay. I got pretty thick skin. Uh, John 5, verse 1, it says, after, there, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, Aramaic, called Bethsaida, which has five roof colonnades. Colonnades, I knew it. That's the one. In these lay a multitude of individuals, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, sir, I have no one to, to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And, when I'm going another steps, uh, and while I'm going another steps before me, uh, pardon me, and while I'm going another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once this man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who, you said, to take up, who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in, in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. I'm just going to stop there. Um, if you are anything like me, um, asking for help is not something that comes naturally to me, not something that uh, I, I like to do. I do believe that a lot of that has to do with pride. Uh, I think this um, preconceived notion that to ask for help demonstrates weakness is something that I've probably a lie that I, that I have embraced to be true. Uh, I also have this really weird deep-rooted insecurity that if I'm going to ask you for help, I'm actually just annoying, like I'm an annoying person. So I'd rather not annoy you by asking for help. 
um, I suffered the consequences of this defect recently. Uh, God has, in his grace, provided us with, with a new home. Uh, we just purchased a little starter home in the, in the neighborhood we live in in Calgary. And um, I'm pretty convinced that moving is actually just a, a direct result of the fall. Uh, moving is, is one of the worst, worst things uh, that I think we can experience on this side of heaven. Um, and, and it might have something to do with the fact that we've moved 10 times in 12 years, that I have such a deep-rooted re- resentment towards this. But um, in the midst of moving, one of the things that often happens is you have to move a couch. And uh, couches are generally big, uh, a little bit awkward, and can sometimes have some weight to them. Um, I had one of those couches, and I do say had. Um, I had a f- couple friends that had offered their services to help me move this couch in- into our new house. The thing is, I didn't want to bother them. You know, I don't want to annoy them. And so this is something that I can take care of, uh, take care of on my own. And I actually, so we, from our rental property, we only moved about five blocks. And so I was actually able to get the couch out of that house, and I just literally lifted it end over end, uh, it's a seven-foot couch, and just like kind of toppled it into the back of my truck, and then got it to my house. And again, let me reiterate: I had several friends say to me, "If you if you need help, we will help you. We're happy to. Help. We love. You. We care about you. We know this is tough. Moving stressful. Let us help you with this." But uh, alas, I did not want their help. So what I did was I called my dad, who's 70 and retired, and asked him to help me move this couch. Well, long and the short. Uh, we were moving it to the basement, and there was just, like, scientifically, it was impossible. There was just not enough room to do so. But where there's a will, there's a way to destroy walls and a couch. And um, in hindsight, what I realized is if I had just accepted the help that had been offered to me, uh, I would not have to repair damaged drywall, nor would I have had to take a sawzall and cut my couch in half because I got it wedged in the stairwell, and I wouldn't be out of couch. Um, but asking for help, again, is one of those things that I think, because um, here's the thing, when, when you ask for help, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that you can't do something, that, that it can't be done on your own. And in, in our text this morning, um, we see an individual who, and maybe it's just me, but I can deeply empathize with this guy in, in a lot of ways, not necessarily in the physical sense, uh, but there seems to be a thought process or a pattern that, that this guy is living with where it's excuses, uh, it's reasons that, reasons that he thinks why he can't be, be taken care of. Um, and, and what I've realized, at least in my life, you know, uh, not asking or receiving help that's offered. I mean, sometimes... I had a guy say to me once, he's like, you only seem to preach one message. And I said to him, well, the message doesn't change. Um, and, and so what we see in the gospel is Christ coming to us, Christ coming and initiating uh, his saving work. And it's not even that in my life did I cry out for help, but I was dead and he brought life to me. And, and so what I've realized is if we're unwilling to receive that help, it is a lot easier, a lot easier. And I would say more likely the first step to self-destruction or staying stagnant and not, not growing in our faith. And the consequences can be crippling. 
this, this, this passage, we see this man who is, um, they don't exactly describe, they just say he's an invalid. He, he can't get there, he's crippled. However you want to interpret that, or see, not however you want to interpret that. However we want to see that. Um, but what I find really interesting is, is who is identified that uh, are the individuals that come to this pool? Uh, in verse 3, it says, lay a multitude of individuals, blind, lame, paralyzed. Just from those three indications, we can understand that these are individuals that cannot help themselves. They, they can't, no human cure has, has healed, redeemed, brought, uh, restored things that are going on in their life. But there's this, this pool. Uh, some translations talk about an angel coming down and stirring it. And that if they could, the first that get in there can receive this, this healing. It's interesting to me that, that the way that John would identify um, people that are coming to this place are in need of divine intervention. You know, th there needs to be something divine that takes place in their life for them to receive or to be changed or to be healed. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So I, I literally just turned 38 in August. So, so for, the, for the entirety of my life... Um, this gentleman had been stuck sitting on a mat. Would, you know, it's, it's fair to say that he probably became accustomed to begging. Um, and, and I just try to imagine what it must be like for him to have essentially suffered for 38 years, to have people, you know, I mean, he makes it clear that these people step in front of him, they budge him, they, they, they cut in line and they take his place, which he thinks um, should be his. And what, it, what we know from the Bible, so this is, um, just before we get into this individual, uh, in light of the fact that, that we see what, what it is that people are suffering with in this text, it, it lists the three things, you know, blind, lame, and paralyzed. The God of the Bible that, I, you know, and I've read this thing cover to cover a couple times, and, and the God of the Bible that I read about doesn't seem to be bound by any limitations, circumstances. Um, I've not seen anything in Scripture that would indicate that, that God is not able to do whatever it is that he would will. And it's interesting, um, the conversations that I've had with individuals that seem to focus on the question why. You know, I, I mean, admittedly, when I first read that, it's, it's kind of like, well, well, why wouldn't God just heal everyone? Well, why wouldn't God, why does God allow these things to happen? Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow good and evil? Why does God allow, why, why, why? Um, I, I, I've kind of come to believe that getting stuck on why paralyzes us from focusing on the who. Um, when it comes to why God does what he does. You know, I've had, I've had heated conversations with uh, other pastors who, you know, at times would, would even, um, would affirm individuals being angry with God. Let's say this is a thing that, I, that I've experienced. And I'm, I'm not pretending to be able to understand every circumstance that people go through. What I do know um, is that the God of the Bible is always good and only faithful 
uh, that he is gracious, he's slow to anger, rich in love, uh, that he is the only one who can save. And in light of that, uh, when I have counseled or been with or talked to people that are in suffering, whatever um, the, the blind, lame, or paralyzed might be in your life, it's to remind them of the goodness of God um, and to remind them of who he is, what he's done, what he can accomplish. And, and, and it's interesting, too, because you know who asks the question why a lot? Are the religious leaders. I, I mean, even in our text today, it's the Sabbath. Why are you, why are you picking up your mat? Not, not blown away by the fact that this guy had been on his mat for 38 years, not looking at who did the, it's, it's why, and then it's who. If I can encourage you with anything this morning, might I encourage you to focus on the who. Focus your, you know, I mean, the, the scriptures tell us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But we can see from these verses that God, in his grace and infinite wisdom, heals some from incurable diseases in his time to his glory. And it's not a secret, which is why people come to this pool, that God is all-knowing, understanding all things that are going on. And it's interesting because in verse 4 it says, oh, pardon me, verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there, it says, and knew that he had already been there a long time. Uh, one of the most mind-boggling things to me in, in wrapping my head around the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he's done, is that he knew. You know, and, and when I read this text, I think one point of application could be, hey, listen, I believe that, that it, like, it's not beyond me to understand that there are people in this room this morning that are suffering, that are going through hardship, whether it be relationally, financially, physically, Suffering exists in our world. And it's important for us, you know, to, to remind ourselves not only the, the who, Jesus, but he also knows. He does know what's going on. He does know your suffering. He does know your pain. He does know the confusion. And he's present. Um, but what also is amazing to me not only does Jesus know my pain, but he also knows my sin. He would also know that this man is not perfect. That this man lives in sin. I mean, he tells him to, to sin no more, which would imply that he has sin in his life. And Jesus knew that. And what does Jesus do? Jesus initiates the redeeming work in this man's life. He knew him. John uh, 2... 24 and 25 says the following. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him for he himself knew what was in man. The, the reality of, of what Jesus was doing even in this story on the earth was to come and, and redeem and reconcile all things to himself, to save those that he was going to save. And he, he did that because he knows that we are sinners and we need a savior. And, and I think to me, it, it's just a, a beautiful picture of, of 
who God is and what he's like. He, he's aware of our suffering, and he wants to bring comfort. He wants to bring healing. He, he can bring these things, but he's also aware of, of our sin and of our shortcomings and would still, in his grace, initiate that. And I love what Jesus does here. He, he comes up to the man. He knows this about him. He knows who he is. He knows what he's been going through. And his question is, do you want to be healed? Um, I got you know, Again, like I put myself in this guy's shoes, and, and I just, I have to believe that there would be a part of him that would be like, please God, yes. Take the pain away. Take this from me. Restore my, my ability to walk. Take away the physical suffering that I have. You know, there's got to be a part of me that, that that would be present. Now, this is, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is what he does. His response is interesting to me because it appears he just kind of has some excuses and reasons as to why he can't be healed. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. And when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, another steps down before me. And to me, it, he, he misunderstood the question. Jesus didn't ask him, do you want to go to the pool? He asked if he wanted to be healed. And what I think can happen, and I'm not suggesting this is what is going on with this man, maybe, but I know in my personal life, um, when I have found myself in suffering, and I'll be completely transparent, a lot of my suffering has been brought on by the consequences of my own actions. I have a friend who says this to me all the time. He'll be like, well, 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 if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. And I really don't like when he says it, but he's right. I think, though, that we can become accustomed to, to our pain and would rather stay in a world of familiar pain than the terror of the unknown. I mean, think about this. So this guy has been on this mat for 38 years. Jesus comes along and says, do you want to be healed? Like, like what that means for change in his life is going to be fairly drastic. This is all that he's known. What do you mean, be healed? Oh, I don't know about that. Um, and, and, and the reality is, is I think at times, um, we become comfortable being unwell that when we're offered to be made well or to be made whole, it's scary. It's scary. The Savior of the world is talking directly to a man in his suffering and pain and offering healing and peace, and his response is, I can't do it. It doesn't work. And he's right to an extent. You know, like, I, the moment, to me, he's realizing, I can't do this. I can't, I can't get myself into this pool. There's always a reason why I can't, I can't do this on my own. I need someone to get me there. And it's funny because he thinks that Jesus might be offering to get him to the pool and he's explaining to him, here's my experience. And in that experience, I've never been able to, someone always gets in front of me, no one will take me down there. And I love what Jesus, he, he, Jesus doesn't even pay attention to his, his response. He didn't offer to get him in the pool. He just says, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once this man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Jesus didn't offer to get him into the pool. Jesus offered him something greater. Jesus offered himself. Jesus offered who he is and what he can do. Um, but when I read this and I, and I listen to the guy's excuses and response to the question of Jesus, do you want to be healed? I can, like, I feel that. 
like on a, on a deep level, um, what it's like to have God in his grace intervene in, in my life and me say, I think I'm, I'm good to just stay here. I'm good to just sit on my mat for a little bit longer and, and suffer a little bit more. Um, if I could just share a little bit of my experience without going into um, too much detail. Uh, so I, uh, I have suffered um, over the last 15 plus years a good amount. Um, do there's a direct correlation between my suffering and my alcoholism. And uh, I've lost a lot um, because of my unwillingness to receive rebuke, correction, and healing. You know, like, um, I, I was chatting with some of you, but I used to pastor just down the road in, in Canmore at Trinity. And... Uh, about four years ago, I stepped down uh, because I had felt, I knew my behaviors were not becoming of what Scripture calls a pastor to be. Over the next few years, um, things would get worse for me, not better. And, uh, and, and this led me to a point in, uh, in March of 2019, actually, I had, uh, my disease had led me further than I'd ever imagined possible. Um, dealt with the DUI, my marriage was in turmoil. And, uh, and I had decided I was going to find a new life away from my family. And, uh, and I had actually walked out. with masks. You can't wipe your nose, so I'm not taking this mask off before I leave here. I had, I had walked out on my family. Um, I believed a lie. And, and uh, I'm not going to get into the physiological, the, the talk about the disease, but what I want to focus in on is, is understanding how unwell I was and how unwilling I was to allow God to redeem and what that would mean for me. Um, but it led me to a point where I was, uh, it didn't take long, like after I walked out, about a week, and I was living in a hotel by myself, um, and I had begun to explain to my children why my death was not their fault. Well, um, you know, and uh, I called my parents. No one else was really talking to me at that point. And uh, my, dad, uh, my dad began to pray. And God in his grace did something in my heart where after years of this, I finally raised my white flag and was willing to receive from God what he would have for me in healing. And it's interesting because I had countless times throughout my life, throughout my adult life, where God would, would 
I believe, offer. Do you want to be healed? You know, Romans 1, to me, is the perfect picture of, of the wrath of God in a lot of... Like, like you want to worship creation? This is what you get. Here, go ahead. And uh, I've tasted that. Just, just, like, just tasted a little bit, and it is terrifying. Um, and God throughout my life had offered numerous times where, where there's opportunity for me. You know, we arrived in, in Canmore, and uh, at that point in time, I, like I was abstaining from alcohol. I, you know, for myself, I believe it's just something God's called me to. I believe that it's just wise for me to avoid it. I think I have an allergy and an obsession and all these types of things. But um, in the first few months, I, I did, and then until the opportunity arose on a golf course, Canmore Town & Country, great course, love that course. Uh, that that it began and and it was just this it just was just the the, sl the slightest little like is it that I mean what is what is how does the devil tempt in the garden the question he asks is did God really say did God really say like God wouldn't really ask you to do that would he and I couldn't stop asking why. You know, like in the midst of my addiction, in the thick of it, I couldn't stop asking why. I couldn't stop being a victim. I couldn't stop blaming. I couldn't accept responsibility for my own actions. I had an inner lawyer that would go to work for me, and he would convince me one of two things. That my life without alcohol would be terrible, or that I wasn't worthy to receive the grace of Jesus. And, and God did a work in my heart um, and in my life since that time. I will be, um, you know, 18 months sober from any mind-altering substances on, on, on March 8th. Uh, pardon me, uh, September 8th here coming up. And uh, I was doing some reflecting, and that's the longest stint I've ever been uh, sober since I was 16. Um, just <laughs> terrifying to think, but... Um, what I found, too, though, was in the midst of what God has done for me. He did not give me what I wanted, okay? So I went and did three months of inpatient treatment. I lived it. I left my family for three months, and uh, I did not go there for my theology. I'll say that. It was an interesting experience. But I did go there to find uh, the help that I needed, and, and God has graciously restored our family. Uh, God has redeemed our marriage. Like, there's so much good and so much to be thankful for. Um, but the reality is, you know, like I think, I, and I've heard, I've heard guys, you know, they, they read a text like this and it's kind of like, so if you have physical suffering, come and let's, let's see that healed. And here's, here's been my experience when it comes to what God has done in healing in my life. Like my circumstances are not the same. I wake up in suburbia Calgary, not in Canmore. Like the reality of the consequences of what I did, I don't get to pastor at Trinity anymore. Okay? That does not mean that God has not done a work. That does not mean that he did not get me to get up and, and pick up my mat and walk. He has done that. But I think it's dangerous to assume that if God is going to bring healing that we get to dictate how that looks and what that feels like. Um, I 
and it blows my mind when I reflect on, like, like the, 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 the peace that transcends all understanding that I have today uh, was forfeited for the comfort of just what I knew over years of, of behaviors. And uh, it's interesting to me today because for, for a long time, you know, like I was a, I was a quiet closet drunk. Like n no one really knew. My wife worked a lot of nights, and uh, I was, uh, but I, like, I had just become completely comfortable with the lifestyle, like, like, all the, I mean, even just the physical consequences of that, I just became comfortable with. It just, it just was the way it was. And so when this guy says to Jesus, but, like, I can't because no one will get me there, like, I had a lot of I can'ts and a lot of reasons why I couldn't do that, you know, and I would, I would do things like, I mean, the reality is, like, I would lose my job, right, for, for financial reasons. I can't confess this because if I do, I'll lose my job. Um, there's a lot of reasons, you know, there's always a reason why not to hear the voice of God. But part of why I wanted Hebrews 3 read was, was like, I have been convicted and convinced that when we hear the voice of God, it is in our best interest to respond to what he is calling us to. It only gets worse when we don't. And, like, when Jesus begins his healing work, he will be faithful to see us through. God didn't bring me out of the torment that I was in to, to leave and abandon me. Um, Get up and walk. Take your mat and walk. And at once he did this. Uh, continuing on. So the day is the Sabbath. The Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. And he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man? Who said this to you? Uh, take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and, uh, and there was a crowd in place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said, See, you are well. Listen to what he says, though. He, he says, Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. I mean, I touched on it. That, that would imply that he had sin in his life. But here's, when I read, when I read, Phrases like, when I hear those words of God saying, sin no more, it just feels completely daunting and impossible. Um, but here's what we know from that. You know, this, this impossibility, what it is doing is it is implying forgiveness, that Jesus has begun the forgiving work. He's saying to him, all the sin that you have committed, I have forgiven. I have taken care of in my perfect life, in my death and resurrection, and in my imminent return, that that is taken care of. John 8, verse 11 says, she said, no one, Lord. And he said to her, neither do I condemn you. And now go from here and sin no more. This is again the woman caught in adultery. So he, this is Jesus forgives. And in his forgiveness, in the forgiving grace of Jesus, what he does is makes us new and gives us uh, new creations is what scripture says that we are. And, and empowering. So this is, John Piper um, said it one time and, I, and it, it rocked me. And this was like, 
you know, I, I pastored for seven years, and for seven years I battled this, this like, secret. And, and it wasn't, you know, sometimes people are like, how did you do it? It's, well, it progressively got worse to a point where I couldn't manage my life. But at the time, I remember there were just these odd moments, odd, odd, odd times where I would sneak off and, and, and drink, and then I'd minimize it, you know, I'd minimize it. I'd partially confess, and, oh, I drank a couple beers last night, probably shouldn't have. And, but Piper said, you know, like, in light of what God does, when, when God saves us and makes us new, we no longer have to sin. We choose to. Because we've been given a, a new heart, and we've, and we've been made new. And... When I, when I read these words, it's like I've actually been empowered by the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, to have victory over sin in my life. I've also been given, in light of what Christ has done, the ability to enter into the throne room of grace and find forgiveness when I do sin. But here in this text, when Jesus says this to this man, we see the Lamb of God at work, taking away the sins of the world, forgiving them, even those who would betray him, and, he, and, he, and we've been given grace to this new life, free from all things that have us in bondage. I like how one author put it. He said, the great physician will not, o- not allow any disease to remain within us. This morning, I just want to very quickly point out three things. Um, one, it is, it is the reality, as we see, same as Similar to the man in the story, we can't do this on our own. We are not able to heal or bring peace or to save ourselves on any merit of our own. It is solely by the grace of God. And Jesus knows us, knows our thoughts, knows our challenges, knows our suffering, knows what's going on. He sees, he knows, and in light of that, he initiates when Jesus saves and says to us, pick up our mat, this is not to our shame, but it's to his glory. Jesus calls the unworthy, the outcasts, the drunkards, the liars, the cheats, the sinners. He calls us, he heals, and he is to be exalted. As Hebrews 3 says, today if you hear the voice of God, do not turn away in rebellion. If you hear Jesus calling you to healing today, you know, run to him. He's not calling you to shame you. And I think, you know, again, I, I, I just, I know I, I can empathize with, if I, if I actually come to Jesus today, that's going to that's gonna require some, some confession, and it's going to require some, some consequences that I'm not sure I want to I, I face. Um, if I can allow me to uh, use my life as an example of exactly what not to do, and, and when God does call us to those things, no matter the temporal consequences in this life, uh, there's nothing greater than running to him to be healed and leaving the outcome in his hands. You know? <laughs> yeah, to be honest, uh, I'm not really good at anything else uh, when it comes to a profession and I've struggled since being out of ministry. It's been hard. Um, yet, I have peace that God is still in control. 
that he has begun a healing work. And what that means for career doesn't matter because I know where I am eternally with him. You know, today, like I, I share my story pretty transparently because I'm not ashamed of this mat that I carry around. Like the God of the universe called to me and said, pick up your mat and walk. You're going to be healed. Your sins are forgiven. It's not without consequence, but those are temporal. Eternally, I am secure. And the same goes for anyone who has called on the name of Jesus. The same is for anyone who has come to him, who has heard his voice and responded with repentance and faith, that believe that Christ, and only Christ, I can't do it, I can't get to that pool, I can't deal with this. You're right, but he can. And I'm not ashamed, you know. And I don't. I, it's interesting too because I sometimes when I talk to to other Christians, they're like, "Ah, I haven't done the stuff you have." <laughs> and I'm like, "Ooh, thank God you haven't." You know, thank God that you don't have to have the scars that I have. And the fact that you believe in Christ isn't in and of itself a miracle, and that is a powerful testimony to see others come to know Jesus. You don't have to ruin ministries and almost destroy your marriage and suffer the consequences of deep. You don't have to do those things to be an example like this man who, when Christ called you in response in faith, you stood up and you carried your mat and you were like, I was dead and I'm now alive. I was in darkness and now I'm in light. He made him who knew no sin to be sin that in him we may become the righteousness of God, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Yeah. So today, like this man, I pick up my mat and I just try to tell people, Jesus did this. It's all I got. He's all I got. He did this. And he's done the same for you. Let me pray. God of grace, we thank you for your your goodness to us. Thank you, God, for your pursuit of us. Thank you, God, that we did not have to do enough. I mean, oh, my, my good does not outweigh my bad. Thank you that you would call those that you would call, that you would affectionately draw us to yourself. Ask, do you want to be healed? And present yourself as... as propitiation as the perfect sacrifice for us that all of our sin past present future could be covered by the atoning work of your sacrifice we would ask god that that would shape and mold us that we might become a people um, as we live our day-to-day -day lives that we would want to be like this man that you've healed and, and, and say to others this is this is my story and he, and he is my savior jesus you have done this And God, I ask that you would, by your grace, would you protect Banff Park Church? Would you use it, God? Use this people that you deeply love for your glory, for your goodness, that the town of Banff would be, would know this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done, and that you would use this church to be good ambassadors of your gospel. 
We thank you for your love for us. We pray that as, um, as we go from this place, that we would know your peace, that we would know your healing, that we would know that by your grace and for your glory, that we exalt you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe you are dismissed.